Hi there, my name is Alex Faust and you're listening to Conversations at the Edge. Each week we meet with the top business thought leader to learn what they think we should be prioritizing to build better businesses, positively impact our communities, and scale up. Good morning, good afternoon, good night, depending on what part of the world you are joining us from. My name is Alex Faust, your host of Conversations at the Edge. And today I'm very excited to be joined by Ami Kassar. This is the first time we've had him at Conversations at the Edge, and he's a new thought leader to the Growth Institute community. He is a, the founder and CEO of Multifunding and the author of The Growth Dilemma. He's earned national reputation as a thought leader in business finance. And he's an in-demand speaker and trusted advisor to growth-focused business leaders as he helps companies with creative and personalized funding solutions. Ami, welcome to Conversations at the Edge. And uh, where are you calling in from today? Alex, thank you. And believe it or not, I'm calling up right up the street from you, up in Amber, Pennsylvania, not too far from you, I don't think. Um, so, Ami, let's get started by talking a little bit about growth capital and how you think about deciding how big, how fast you want to grow and with how much risk. Can you kind of set the stage uh, for us around around that? So I think we all, as business owners and entrepreneurs, have an inherent tension of deciding what do we want to be when we grow up and how quickly do we want to try to go there. So some businesses, to give two extremes, deliberately set on a very slow, cautious, and steady pace. Okay. like just slow, methodical, happy with growing a couple percent a year. They don't want to do anything to upset the apple cart. Then you have other businesses who whose goal is to be on the top of the Inc. 5000 list every year and everything in the middle. And my only point is that we should all make a decision of what it is we want to be. What do we want to become? Find our own rhythm and our own growth rhythm. Maybe 10x scaling, which I know we talk a lot about in this community, that might not be for everybody, and that's okay. Maybe there's some people who don't aspire to be on the Inc. 5000 list, and that's okay also. So trying to find your rhythm and be at peace with it is really what it's all about. I remember when I started my company, Alex. And we bootstrapped and we went through a couple of years of bloody hell, to put it mildly. And I had friends who were starting fintech companies and were raising millions of dollars every few months and had these fancy offices in Park Avenue or in the heart of San Francisco and all kinds of stuff and 100 employees here or 200 employees there. And I'd walk through their offices sometime and I'd say, why am I torturing myself? I have no regrets for taking the path I've done. And, and amazingly, a lot of them are no longer standing than I am. But I remember that anxiety causing me a lot of sleepless nights. And once I got to be at peace with the path I'd chosen, I felt much better. So what are some of the biggest mistakes you're seeing leaders make when it comes to kind of picking their, their growth path and then deciding how to finance it? Well, the one mistake is being in no man's land. And the one mistake is one day feeling you want to grow this way and the other day feeling you want to grow that way and or, you know, trying to raise $300,000 as a debt or $10 million of equity at the same time, which are two completely different objectives. So the biggest mistake, perhaps, is just not deciding what rhythm 
you make your first make, makes you feel most comfortable. Is that what you mean by no man's land? Is like yeah, that area yeah, of non-deciding of being just like all over the place. The other thing is fundamentally, do you want to? There's three ways to grow. There's one way to grow is just by cash flow. Totally okay. That's going to make you sleep well at night. The other way to grow is with equity, and the other way to grow is with debt. They're not all necessarily mutually exclusive. But I'd say kind of early on, like equity isn't for everybody. Decide. Equity comes with its pros and its cons. Partners can be amazing. They can be the biggest nightmare and disaster, whatever you, you want. So that equity versus debt choice, I think, is an important choice. Remembering that if you take equity, you just got married or got married again. You're married with that partner for the rest of the life of your business, and divorce is very expensive. And that partner and you may or may not have the same expectations. The flip side on it is if you take on debt, you got to pay it back. And so you kind of have to find your comfort zone in, in that mix. Equity will probably let you grow faster. That maybe that's important to you. Debt will be a more methodical thing, but just remember, sometimes more often than not, the tortoise wins the race. And so, when you're working with clients, are you re recommending, you know, deciding on the capital structure based on like how comfortable you are with risk, or is it, you know, do you recommend different types of capital for certain scenarios? It all depends on the the scenarios. So, oftentimes, when people call us. They have no idea what they need or what they want or what they need. They, they haven't thought through how much money they really need and what they're trying to accomplish with, accomplish with it. So I remember once sometime early on in my practice, someone called me and they needed a million. They said they needed a million dollars. And it was complete hocus pocus math. And I said, you're probably eligible for about 150. And they said, you're full of SHIT. I just got off the phone with someone who said, they can get me a million dollars, no problem. And I said, cool, what are the terms? Yeah, well, they need a $25,000 deposit to help get the money and this and that. I said, well, if you want to believe them, God bless you. I'm telling you, no deposit. And you'll be lucky to get $150,000. And I never heard from them again. So you have to be careful of false promises. You also have to be sort of, what do you want the money for? And have you evaluated the cash flow, what your cash flow needs are? What are the investments you're trying to make? Are these investments or are these working capital issues? That affects the structure that you're going to get. And then everything is a trade-off. Right, and every, everyone's situation is different, and you have to decide. Sometimes it's an issue of how much money. Other times it's an issue of what guarantee you're willing to do. So another story for, I'm going to share a couple of stories with you for whatever they're worth. One time, we helped get 
an entrepreneur early on in that business needed a loan. It was a cleaning company in San Jose. And we got him an offer for, I think it was $800,000 SBA loan. Interest rate was 6%. He had 10 years to pay it off. The payments were very reasonable. And it involved a lien on his house. And he said to me, hello, high water, no lien on my house. For whatever reason it was, he wasn't going to do it. Go find me what else, whatever else you can in the market. The only other option we could get for him was a one-year loan at 36% interest. Still with a personal guarantee, but no lien on his house. And he took the one-year loan at 36% interest which sadly, a couple years later, he ended up bankrupt and probably had to give up his house. And so there was somebody where his historical experiences with money or his spouses or his family or whatever it was, was impacting his decision-making. So these discussions are different. So there's an, there's an issue of a guarantee. Sometimes someone will come to us, again, I'm just giving examples, and they'll say they need $700,000 to make investments. And then we'll say, well, you can do that. Or if you wanted to do 350, you can get a 350 SBA loan without a lien in your house. And suddenly their, their math starts spinning in their head and they do the 350, which is fine. Usually you don't need as much money as you think you do. So, you know, you're, you're encouraging your clients to look at their P&L statements a bit differently as well and how they're, you know, investing for growth. Can you talk about, you know, the profit and loss statement and how you recommend clients look at their expenses and, and why? Sure. So I can share with everyone what we've done and do is if you think about it as leaders, we are constantly making decisions about what to invest in big and small investments that we want to make for the future of our company. Do we hire people? Do we add marketing? Do we add sales? Do we add a location? Do we acquire business? Do we try some new marketing? Constant decisions about what to do. So if you think about the money we spend every year, we spend some money because we have to, and other money we spend because we want to. We spend money because we have to pay the rent or the insurance or the health insurance premiums or payroll. That's money to keep the lights on. And then we spend money because we're trying to grow. Most of the time, the entrepreneurs and business owners that we run into aren't able to separate those two. They can't tell me how much money they spent on investing in their business or invest or growing, trying to grow their business in the past year. And I strongly encourage all of us to look at that for the sake of understanding that. We did it. We're a fairly small business. And our number of investment capital was $300,000. And that was a big kind of aha moment for me. Like, holy cow, I just put in $300,000 that I otherwise um, wouldn't, um, if I'd taken that money out, I'd have another $300,000 in my pocket, it's a lot of money. 
but I chose to invest it in the back in my business. Great. But where did it go? Can I track it? Can I understand it? Do I have a picture of what investments I made and how they're doing? Do I have information to decide that investment is great? Maybe I can double down or triple down, or that investment is really dumb. Maybe I should cut it down, et cetera. So I do encourage you to go through your everyone to go through their PL or their general ledger and tag their expenses as you know, operating expenses and investment expenses. And it will give you great, I think, much um, insight about what to um, what 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 to invest in. Thank you. So I'm curious, um, you know, when we look at the difference between operating expenses and investing expenses, is there a percentage that you recommend a company kind of say, this is where I want my, my breakdown to be? Um, or is there a way to decide like what's best for your individual situation? I don't think there's, again, the, the one, an- the answer is what's going to make you sleep better at night. So again, just maybe add one point that I should have added earlier. First of all, if you look at our, our PL today on top, we typically have our variable expenses tied to our cost of goods sold to the products or services that we sell. And on the bottom, we have our operating expenses. In the new PL format I'm talking about, the variable expenses on top stay the same. And the operating expenses get divided between operating expenses and investment expenses. I think that every business, I mean, I know we our number is very aggressive on what percentage of our operating expenses we're investing in trying to grow. But not everyone's like that. The first step is be able to measure it. And then the next question is, are you comfortable? Oftentimes when people go through that, I've seen cases where people are like, holy cow, I'm like 5% or 3%, and that's way too low. Other people have said, holy cow, I'm being too aggressive. Again, it's what's, I don't think there's one right answer as to what your percentage should be. A lot of that depends on where you are in your life cycle and the industry that you're in. But I think it's important to be able to measure it and understand it. Do you have any tools that you recommend leaders use in terms of like tracking and measuring the performance of their investments? That's, that's some tools like that are sitting in our parking lot. We don't have them today. Um, I can tell you what we've done and we do is in our QuickBooks. And again, I'm sure there's different companies listening to this of all different shapes and sizes. Um, so um, we have a, um, we went in and we tagged, we tag all of our expenses as investment or operating. And then the investment expenses, we put them into projects, right? So we can take a look and say in the last 12 months, these are the 10 or so projects we invested in and what we invested in each. And then we can then use it to start making informed decisions. Keep in mind that it's important, I think, to note that some of the investments we make will be totally and completely almost impossible to measure. And you have to be okay with that. You might decide, I'm going to invest in employee training this year. Is that measurable? Maybe, but it'll be very hard to actually 
explicitly measure your direct return on that. Last year or the year before, we spent twenty or twenty-five thousand dollars rebranding our website. I'll never know exactly what that did for us. We're not an e-commerce company, but it had been seven years or eight years, and it was time. Other investments are much more measurable, like hired a salesperson, they're selling or not, you know, put direct mail in the mail, it's converting or not. So it's a combination of both. But we also have to be okay with the uncomfort of knowing that some of what we invest in will not be measurable. So I want to jump over quickly to the velocity metrics that you have. Um, you know, you talked about if you're not making investments that you regret, maybe you're not being aggressive enough. Um, so I'm curious how you recommend to clients to kind of build out this velocity met, uh, matrix and decide how to stretch or not stretch and prioritize uh, using this, this tool. Awesome. So let's take our example. First of all, I think every company needs a goal, hopefully on a three-year horizon. Okay. So let's say for my company, I'm picking the $300,000 is just, it could easily be a million or 10 million. It doesn't matter. That's our baseline case. We spent $300,000 last year. We're going to spend it again this year. That's our budget. Then, based on spending that $300,000, the things you're going to invest in, you should be able to, with some assumptions, make some guesses about what you think your business is going to look like in three years. The next thing I say is, okay, that's done. Now, let's go crazy. Don't worry for a minute how you're going to pay for it. But you're not going to invest $300,000 next year. You're going to invest $900,000. You're going to triple it. So now it's really a shopping spree for investments in your company. You've got $900,000 to use or you're going to lose it. So make that shopping list. You're probably going to hire faster or add more equipment or maybe add more salespeople or more marketing. You're going to try grow faster. And then once you've got that shopping list down, what do you think those investments are going to do for you? On that $900,000 level, what do you think your business will look like in three years? Then say, mm, Santa wasn't so kind. You don't have $900,000 to spend. You have $600,000 to spend. So make your $600,000 shopping list, which means you have to do a little bit of cutting. And then you have a three, a six, and a nine plan, and you can see where you believe those plans are going to take you. One might take you to be a $6 million top-line business. One might take you to be an $8 million top-line business. One might take you to be a $10 million top-line business. Whatever the numbers are. So you start, then you've filled out the top half of your velocity matrix. Once that top half is filled out, the next thing you have to do it is say, okay, well, shucks, money isn't free. So if I'm going to invest $900,000, how would I have to pay for that? Debt or equity or cash flow, what would it cost me? 
if I was going to do the $600,000, what would that cost me? And if I was going to do the $300,000, could I do it the same way I did it last year? So now you've filled out, you kind of have all the information, the risks and the benefits of three different growth lanes. And hopefully you can use that information to thoughtfully make a choice about which lane you want to take. Again, fast growth lane isn't always the best growth lane. In my mind, the best lane is going to be the lane that lets you sleep the best at night. Thanks for listening to Conversations at the Edge. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, please share it with a friend or a teammate who you think would benefit from what we covered. In addition, you can find us on LinkedIn to get all of the updates. Or if you'd like to hear the full conversation, just visit growthinstitute.com forward slash the edge to learn how you can become a member as well. Thanks again and see you next time.